You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. This has been a tough year for all of us, I would think. I believe if I did a survey this morning and asked the question, has this been the toughest year of your life? Many of you would probably throw your hands up and say, yes, it has been. At least it's been the the craziest year of your life for sure. For most of us, it's been a tough year for two or three different reasons. First of all, because everything normal and predictable in our lives has been disrupted. I think other than the sun coming up in the morning, everything that we've counted on as a normal day isn't normal anymore. Number two, between the virus and the civil unrest in our country today, most of us have this little bit of an uneasy feeling in our gut. Just below the surface of our, surface of our lives, there's a, a certain anxiety that just exists there. There's a level of stress that is greater than we've experienced in days of the past. We probably found ourselves having a little bit of a shorter fuse with the people around us than we've had in the past. Maybe even some of us have turned to unhealthy, even sinful habits to try to find some comfort, or at least to try to escape for a short period of time, and this is not a good thing. Number three, for the first time in many of our lives, we have a feeling of uncertainty about the future. You know, we just want this to be over with. We want to be done. We want to see the virus eradicated. We want to see peace in our streets, racial harmony and equity throughout our nation. But right now, we don't see a light at the end of the tunnel, do we? And for that reason, sometimes it's easy for us to begin to feel a little hopeless or a little uncertain, to say the least. I think this is an unsettling trio for all of us. The disruption of our normal the level of stress that's been added to our lives, and an uncertainty about the future. I recently read a study done by the CDC on the increase in suicide that we've seen in our nation over the past several years. One of the reasons the study reappeared was because there is concern about future increases in suicide as a result of the stress that people are feeling in their lives right now. But as I was reading through the study, there was one quote that really stuck out to me. It's this, one thing that is heavily, that is a heaven, one thing that is a heaven, excuse me, let me start over. One thing that is a heavy commonality among people who died by suicide is an unshakable feeling of dread, despair, loneliness, and helplessness. Wow, look at those words. During this time of social distancing, when many of us are working isolated at home, and many, many people have lost jobs, and young students are feeling loneliness because of the social distancing that's been created and the distance learning that they've had to endure. Add to that the 24-hour news cycle of destruction and misery and anger and arguments that are going on each night in the news. I would say every one of us, to varying degrees, are experiencing some of these feelings even today. Right now, 
we can't even turn the TV on and watch a sporting event without every five minutes or so the announcers telling us about the particular athletes who couldn't play this week because of the coronavirus and they've tested positive. You know, even you know, Atlanta Brave, Freddie Freeman is sick. Freddie's never sick. But that's kind of what we feel. And of course, having sporting events taken away from us, well, that's distressing. But let's face it, that's certainly a first world problem. You know, there's a lot of people around the world today, their biggest problem is not, they've taken my football away from me. It's right up there with the six weeks of not being able to get your hair cut. Wasn't that distressing? Or was that only distressing for me with all this hair? You know, it was painful. You know, I'm laughing. We, we joke about these things, and, 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 and we say they're serious. You know, but oddly, these things do disrupt our lives. I believe most of us came to church this morning, or we've tuned in online, because we want something different in our lives. We're hoping to get a break from the sadness that's all around us. Most of us came wanting to find at least some hope and some peace this morning. And if that's you, i got some really good news. That's what we're going to go in search of today. We're going to go in search of God's peace. And we're going to look in a passage in Isaiah chapter 26, beginning in verse 1. But before we go there, let me give you just a little bit of background on Isaiah. Isaiah the prophet was a prophet to both the northern kingdom, to some degree, but to a much greater degree to the southern kingdom of Judah. It's interesting that when we study history, it really helps us to get a better understanding and perspective on our lives today. That's why it's important for us to look back. You know, this particular time in history when Isaiah lived and prophesied, it was a really dark and bleak period of history, especially in Israel and in Judah. The northern kingdom, they were marred in pagan practices of worship that even included such things as child sacrifices. And during the ministry of Isaiah, the northern nation was also invaded by the Assyrians as part of God's judgment on their idolatry. Now these Assyrians, man, they were a brutal and a barbaric people. And as they came and, in, and invaded the country, they had, some, they had developed some horrific ways of torturing and killing people. Innocent people. And they would do it in order to intimidate everyone else and cause the nation to come to its, to its knees. This period of history was not a good time to be born in Israel. It, wasn't, it was a time filled with starvation, disease, death. These things were everyday occurrences in the life of Isaiah. It was going on all around him. Trust me when I say this. No matter how bad things are for you right now, history tells us that life can always be worse. That's true. It can always be worse. Now, I don't say that this morning to minimize the difficulties that many families are facing. But I think sometimes we just need a little perspective from history on our current life. You know, we've all heard the saying, the only minor surgery is the surgery that's happening to someone else. In other words, when it's happening to you, all pain is real pain. But history helps us put into some kind of context the pain that we're going through right now. 
And with this backdrop of all that was going on in the life of Israel in, 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 in Isaiah as he prophesied, let's get to chapter 26. Because up until this point, up until this chapter, things were pretty bleak. Isaiah was prophesizing doom and gloom, but then finally, actually it started in chapter 24, things turned positive. Isaiah began to look to the future. And in chapter 26, he's sharing a glimpse for us into the millennial kingdom. That is the thousand-year reign of Christ. Israel is restored as a nation following the great tribulation. Jesus is ruling this world in righteousness and truth. And in our passage today, we get some really important truths about how to walk with God even today. We're going to learn today the, the origins of God's peace, how we find it, where we find it, and how we can keep that peace as a part of our life. Isaiah's got some encouraging words that he wants to share with us today. So look at verse 1. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. I thought about singing these words, but then I thought better of it. We have a strong city. God will appoint salvation for walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation, which keeps the truth, may enter in. In the history of man, there has never been a city like this city that Isaiah is prophesying about. It is truly a godly city. One where Jesus reigns in totality. Where righteousness is the rule of the streets. Where one really finds truth and justice for all. Where salvation is so thick that it's in the walls and in the trenches around the walls. It was a city full of singing. It's a glorious city. A city governed by a glorious king. From within its walls, Jesus will rule this earth for a thousand years. And He'll rule in righteousness. But, until that day, until Jesus returns and builds this city, guys, there will never be a godly, a truly godly city in this world. For now, we have to live with ungodly cities that are filled with both ungodly people and godly people. Today, our goal is not to build godly cities. That's not going to happen. It'll never happen. Today, our focus is on building a godly church. It's on building God's presence here on earth in His body, the church. The church, our church, is to be a godly place ruled by Jesus. We're to build His church all around this world. In every ungodly city, He wants His church to be a strong presence and a witness to the ungodly world around it. This is why Paul tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, he says, Therefore, I exhort, I exhort you first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all those in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. You see what he's saying? He's saying right now, we need to be busy praying for our leaders. Why? So that we can live a quiet and peaceable life. Guys, have you been praying for your leaders? 
Have you been praying for those that have been making decisions? I hope you have, because God wants you doing that so that we can meet here on Sunday mornings and live our lives in peace so that we are free to worship and free to worship our Lord without fear that, so that we're free to, to share our faith and to see others in the world around us to come and join us in this place of peace. Today, our goal is that Jesus would rule in His church by ruling in the lives of His people. Now one day, He's going to rule over all the world from this beautiful city. And that day, it's going to be great and we're going to be singing about it one day. But today... We gather together in here and we sing about God's great salvation that He's provided for us. That God has chosen you. That God has plucked you out of that ungodly world and He's saved your life and He's changing your life. I hope you sing about that this morning. But notice verse 3. And this is the verse we really want to focus in on today. You will keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Perfect peace. Boy, isn't that what you want this morning? Isn't that what you long for? This Hebrew phrase, perfect peace, is actually the phrase, shalom, shalom. Shalom is, of course, the Hebrew word for peace. And here, Isaiah couples the two words together to tell us that God has this super peace, if you will. This exponential peace. This intense peace, or as the translators translate it, this perfect peace. Isaiah is describing a peace that is different from human peace. It's a peace that is created and provided by God. It's, it, it's not a peace that's defined by the absence of conflict. Often that's what we think of when we think of peace. Oh good, nobody's yelling at me right now. I have peace. Oh, I haven't lost my job lately. Oh, I don't owe anybody right now. I'm having peace. We think of it that way, but, but that's not what this perfect peace is. Isaiah is describing a perfect peace in the presence and in the midst of conflict. See, so often our prayer is, Lord, take me out of my problems. Lord, get me out of here. And we assume if I can just get away from my problems, if I can just get away from the things that concern me, I'll have peace. But guys, God's perfect peace is a confidence deep down in our heart, deep down in my soul, that God is in control of my life. And I add to that the knowledge that He loves me and that He wants what's best for me and that He's going to accomplish His will in my life. That is where our peace comes from. You know, the New Testament, Paul described it as a peace that passes understanding. Guys, this perfect peace is not always understood from a human perspective. Sometimes in our life, we look around and think, I should not have peace right now. And yet, as we're trusting in the Lord, there is a peace there. Though there's chaos all around us, there's a peace there. That's the peace that he's speaking of today. It's just that knowledge that rests inside of us that God has us in his arms. And he's going to take care of us. And, and, and despite what comes, he's going to be there with us. Now, notice Isaiah says that God will keep you in this perfect peace. It doesn't say he'll take away your troubles and bring peace to you. No, it doesn't say he'll move you to a different circumstance. It says that he will keep you in his peace. 
His peace that is not dependent on anything changing in your life. See, that's what some of us simply don't believe. We simply don't believe that God can bring peace to my life the way it's currently structured. But notice it's God who makes it His responsibility to provide His peace. What He's trying to convey to us, guys, is that you can't create it on your own. I can just, you know, I can just work my way to this peace. No, you can't. All the pressure is on God to provide you with this peace. Now, does that mean that we don't have a role to play? You know the answer to that. Absolutely not. We always have a role to play. Look at the very next phrase after perfect peace. He says, whose mind is stayed on you. Your part is to keep your mind focused on Him. This is going to be a change for most of us. For when it comes to searching for peace, we're always wanting to change something. We think changing our circumstances or changing our relationships, or changing our jobs, or changing schools, or changing churches, or making new friends. The list goes on and on and on. That's what we think of that's going to bring peace. But God says here, the only change that has to take place in my life is how I think. Our thoughts must become centered on the Lord. They won't be as long as they're focused on my own desires and my problems and my limitations, I'm never going to have peace. Our minds, our thoughts, our mental focus must be on God. In other words, the way we think must change. The things we think about must change. Even the thought patterns of our lives have to change. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Paul put it this way. He described it as the renewing of our minds. This is a change that takes place where I no longer think as the world thinks. You know, conform to the world in the way I think. You know, all of us have been there. All of us, at some point in our life, thought the way the world thinks. And to a, to a large degree, some of us still think that way. But Paul says our minds need to be transformed to a new way of thinking. Paul is thinking of the person whose mind is programmed to think worldly ways. You know, our thoughts are dominated by lust or greed or fear or worry or anxiety. And it doesn't matter what topic we're thinking or talking about. We tend to approach that topic from the perspective that our minds have. Let me give you an example. If our minds are filled with fear, no matter what's going on in our lives, we're going to interpret that circumstance through the eyes of fear. What might go wrong? We'll consider every danger that's around us. If you live in fear, your thoughts are going to be dominated by what can go wrong, how bad things can be, instead of thinking about the possibility of growth and the possibility of change. The good outcomes never come into your mind or into your decision-making. See, this is the mother who doesn't allow their children to have any sense of adventure because they're afraid of what might happen to them. Oh, yes, there's a risk in almost everything. And as parents, it's our responsibility to measure that risk out and, and not let it be too great. But growth and new experiences 
So many lessons in life are never learned if our children aren't able to get out there and try new things. I remember as a child, I was probably about 9 or 10 years old, and I have an older brother, about 3 years older than I am, and we had been saving up our money. Well, my brother had been saving up most of the money. But my parents allowed us to buy a Honda 70 mini bike. I don't know if you guys remember these. It's the coolest thing, man. I couldn't believe my mom and dad let us buy this, but they did. It would, it would actually top out at about 45 miles an hour. Now, when you're 9 or 10 years old, 45 miles an hour is like going 100 miles an hour, man. It was great. And we would ride that thing for hours. We, we, our backyard was about as big as the bottom portion of the sanctuary here. And we had this track. And I probably put 1,000 miles on that motorcycle just going in a circle. But, man, I was going all over the world in my mind as I'm just going around in that little circle, springing up the dust. Well, the best part was my best friend had a pasture in his backyard, big, huge pasture. And we would build the best ramps to jump off of. See, he had a go-kart. And I had this motorcycle, this small motorcycle, and man, it was wild. The only rules we had, my parents gave us two rules. We always had to wear a helmet, and we could not ride on the street. I always wore a helmet. As for the riding on the street, well, there were times when I might have slipped on that one. You know, the chief of police lived right behind us uh, when I was growing up. I knew him really well. Got stopped a few times and never got a ticket, though. But this was back in the days of Evil Knievel. For you youngsters, this is a guy who used to jump cars on a motorcycle. There's a, did you put the, yeah, there he is, Evil Knievel jumping the, the cars. Okay, he was sort of my hero. He was this daredevil, you know. As a matter of fact, they say during his career, he broke almost every bone in his body at some point. Well, we never jumped cars. But man, we jumped a lot of stuff. Lots of smaller things than cars. You know what's interesting is that sometimes as a 9 or a 10 or 11-year-old, you think you're going to go further than you actually are going to go. Now, I never broke any bones, but, man, we had a good time trying. i am, you know, I got to tell you, though, I look back on that, and I am so thankful that my parents were just crazy enough to let us buy that thing. Now, they knew that we could have gotten hurt. They were aware of that, and that's why they gave us some parameters. But you know what? Sometimes you need to experience some things in life that are a little on the edge in order to grow up and to take responsibility. And as a child, man, I learned some things. I learned how to fix things when you broke them. And we broke a lot of things. And I, and I learned that, you know, when you're doing things you shouldn't do and then you get hurt, you can't go home and cry to mom about what you heard about. So you just had to suck it up. But you know what? Those were important times for me growing as a person. See, when you face a new challenge, oftentimes people feel dread and they feel fear because that's what they've been trained to think. They only see the problems. They don't see the possibilities of growth. When you think of the future, some people, the only thing they see is failure because they've had failure in the past. And they assume because they've had failure in the past, that's what's going to happen in the future. Some people struggle even thinking about the past because they have so many regrets about bad decisions they made years ago, and that still affects the way they approach life today. So full of regrets. Guys, to have your mind stayed on Him is to be able to view all of life through the lens of God's presence and God's promises. 
is to filter all that we think through the experiences and perspective of God's Word. It's, it's, it's to begin to see life the way God sees life. To think about life the way God thinks about life. There are so many people that I meet that are prisoners of their past. Their minds simply will not allow them to think beyond the scars that have been etched into their minds through the pain that they've experienced in the past. And this is exactly why our minds need to be renewed. God wants us to learn to think differently. He wants to set us free from the bondage of our past and the negative thoughts that are tied to that past that just keep holding on to us. And this can happen for you, but it's going to take hard work and it's going to take a willingness to change. In Philippians 4, verse 8, Paul put the same thought in a more practical way when he writes this. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. A huge part of renewing our minds is done by changing what we allow ourselves to think about. Okay? The renewing of our mind has everything to do with changing what we allow ourselves to think about. When you're thinking with those old thought patterns, you need to stop yourself. You need to think about a positive outcome rather than a negative one. You need to think about a just outcome rather than one that's going to be hurtful to someone. If you have a greedy thought and it comes into your mind, you need to stop and consider a more generous way to deal with that issue instead. If you have a lustful thought that fills your mind, stop yourself and replace it with wholesome thoughts towards that person. Now we're going to talk in a, in a few moments about this process and how it happens. But for now, I want you to understand what Paul's saying. He's saying we change our attitudes and our outcomes by changing what we think about. Now there's a second problem that we run into with this whole issue. And that is that many of us routinely, and I mean routinely, fill our minds with destructive things. We watch things on TV that only make us angry or frustrated or frightened. And then we wonder why our emotions are all over the map. We wonder why we're feeling so sad and so discouraged. What are we putting in our minds? Here, Paul tells us exactly what we need to fill our minds with. We need to learn to fill our minds with the right things. He says things that are true. Not the lies that so often you're fed on the TV screen when you're watching the sitcoms or watching the commercials. You're just filling yourself with lies. That's what, what life's really like. We also need to fill ourselves with things that, our mind with things that are noble. Not the garbage that you're filling your mind with daily on social media. Things that are pure and just. Not the entertainment that we see in the movies where the heroes have become the bad guys. Have you noticed that? Nowadays, all the heroes are the bad guys. They're the ones that went out in the end. They're the ones that we're supposed to look at and go, oh, look at how great they are. Well, wait a minute. They're the wrong people. They're the, they're the immoral. They're the wrong guys. Or we're filled with this aberrant sexuality that always happens without consequence. And we look at it on the screen and we go, oh, well, they got away with it. 
Nothing happened to them. We need to think about lovely things and things that are of good report. If you turn on the news every night, you are constantly getting fed with things across the airwaves that are bad and that are, that are sad and that are hard to digest. I don't believe God created us ready to consume a constant diet of bad news all the time. I just don't think He did. Yes, this world is a bad place. But that doesn't mean that you need to know about every awful thing that happened to the 7 billion people that live here. And yet somehow we feel like that's what needs to happen. I need to know about it. If it happened in Mongolia, I need to know about it. If there was an earthquake over here, I need to know about it. I need to know how many people died here. For some reason, we've got in our mind that that's what we need to do. But instead, we need to fill our minds with things of virtue, things that are praiseworthy. These are things that will keep our minds focused on the concerns of God. Now listen, I'm not suggesting that you tune out the world around you. Okay, That's not what I'm saying at all. We need to be informed on what's going on around us, especially current events that, are, that, that, that affect us. But there needs to be some limits on the knowledge of the pain and suffering that we throw into our minds on a daily basis. As I said earlier, controlling our thoughts is the key to finding peace in our life. The battle for peace going on in your life, guys, is fought right here. It's fought in your minds. Is God in control of your thoughts or is the enemy in control of your thoughts? Who's driving it? 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. There Paul urges us one other thing. He says, to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. He tells us this is how spiritual warfare is fought. It's fought in our mind. And how will it be won? It will be won by us capturing those negative wayward, fearful, lustful thoughts and to bring them into obedience. In other words, to capture them and to stop them. We're going to refuse to follow them. We're going to refuse to trace them down, to chase them down that path that they're trying to take us. When you think of a sinful or destructive thought, what do you do with it? Do you know how to capture it? Do you know how to stop it? When those Old ways of thinking come into my mind. I, I've had just learned I have to stop myself. And sometimes I literally say this outside or out loud. I am not going to think this way. Sometimes I, 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 I literally just say it. I ain't thinking that way anymore. Now most of the time, if I'm in public, it happens between my ears. But you might hear me from time to time. And then I always follow that up with, How would God want me to think about this? How does God want me to see this situation? For many of us, we're not even aware and we don't recognize the destructive thoughts that we have. Some of us are so used to thinking a certain way and it's so much a part of our lives, we don't even know it's not good for us. But guys, we need to learn to recognize it. We need to begin to see these thoughts for what they are. Please understand, I am not talking about the power of positive thinking this morning. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the power of pure thinking. The power of godly thinking. 
And there's a big difference between those two because one thing I've learned is that God is not always positive. And we don't always need to think positively about things. There are things going on around us that we need to be upset about. But we need to learn to think the way God thinks and think about the things that God thinks about. To renew our mind or to think differently, we have to do four things. I'll list them real quick. Recognize sinful, destructive thoughts. Number two, capture them from taking hold of our minds. Three, replace them with godly, pure, virtuous thoughts. And then number four, most important, act on those thoughts instead. Here's the question for you this morning. Where does your mind stay? Or we could ask it this way. Where does your mind live? Where does it spend most of its time? What is your mind most vested in? Because your life, which is your mood, your feelings, your heart, your devotion, and ultimately your body and your actions, where your body goes, will all go to the place that your mind occupies. Where it stays, where it lives, that is eventually where you're going to live. This is why it's so important to keep our minds in the right place, to keep them focused on Him. Are you living with the Lord today on a daily basis? But there's one last key phrase here in our search for perfect peace. And it's found in that last phrase, because he trusts in you. Please know this spiritual truth. Your mind will follow what you worship. And you worship what you trust in for safety and security. You get that? Your mind is going to go after what you worship. And what you worship is what you're trusting for security and for safety because that's where your mind's going to be focused. Everything we trust has an outcome. In other words, whatever you trust in is going to take you down a certain path. If you're trusting in money, you know what? Money's going to take you down a certain path. If you're trusting in a career, that career is going to take you down a certain path. If you're trusting in a relationship, that relationship's going to take you down a certain path. This is why we need to stay trusting the Lord. Because Jesus and our relationship with Him, the fruit that comes out of that relationship is peace. These other things, we don't always know where they're going to take us. You can judge the worthiness of the God that you're serving by where it takes you. The problem is, many of us are not smart enough to look around and say, where am I going? Where is this taking me? Or we're not smart enough to look around at the other people who are traveling that path and say, and especially at the ones ahead of us, and say, where are they at? Do I want to go there? Look at what happened to them. Is that what I want to happen to me? Who are you trusting in? What are you trusting in? Who are you listening to? You'll find that usually they're one and the same. They are. We don't like to admit that. But the thing that we're listening most to is the thing we're going after. In 1 Kings chapter 19, I want to end with this interesting story of Elijah. 
It's the story about when he had just done battle with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel and had won the great victory. You remember the story. He had, he had whooped the 500 prophets of Baal. God had brought down the fire and the, his, and the sacrifice had been accepted by God. And man, after this was over, he's just physically and emotionally exhausted. He'd had this great triumph. And in the aftermath, he's sort of discouraged. He's sort of down. He made the mistake that we often make, of thinking that after a great victory, there would always be a time of relaxation. And he was just hoping for just a few moments of vacationing in peace. You know, he just wanted to get away from it all. Unfortunately, moments after the victory, evil Queen Jezebel sent a death threat to him through through a messenger. And he's on the run again. No vacation, Elijah. And, you know... I'm sure as he's heading down to the wilderness, he's thinking, where's my peace? Where's my rest I wanted to have? Where's my vacation? Queen Jezebel made sure that wasn't going to happen. And so he finds himself alone in the wilderness, and he's ready to give up. As a matter of fact, at one point he cries out to the Lord, and he says, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Elijah is alone and depressed. He's down, he's discouraged. Any of you been there lately? Any of you been in that wilderness lately? Discouraged? Anxious? Not knowing what tomorrow holds? God had a recipe for Elijah. I want you to listen closely to his recipe. First thing God told Elijah was, Elijah, you need to get some sleep. And he told Elijah to go, go take a nap, go rest up, go sleep through the night. You know, it's interesting. The more we learn about our bodies, the more we're finding out just how important sleep is to us. To restore our bodies, to restore our minds. God knew that. First thing God told Elijah, Elijah, you need a little healing, a little peace, go get some rest. Stop staying up watching late night TV. Ain't doing you a bit of good. Turn it off, Elijah. Go to bed. Second thing he told him, Elijah, go eat something. And he makes this amazing healthy meal for Elijah. You know, it, 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 it's, it always amazes me how food can make us feel better, can it? You know, they call it comfort food for a reason. And I hope you know what your comfort foods are. And, I, and I'm not kidding. Sometimes when we're discouraged, we just need to go eat something. We don't need to let ourselves get run down. Now, yes, you can take that one too far, you know, and comfort food can become a god to you. You don't want to let that happen. But do you know, you know, sometimes you just need to eat good. God tells him to do that. Third thing God does for Elijah, he, he lets Elijah vent his feelings. Listen to what he says in, in chapter 19, verse 9. And there he went into the cave, talking about Elijah, and he spent the night in that place, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And God said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And so Elijah says, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and have killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Do you see what Elijah's doing? He's having a pity party. He's saying, Lord, you need to feel sorry for me. I've been doing all this good for you. And look at me now, I'm stuck here in a cave all by myself. 
You know what's interesting, though? Is that God just listens. God says, okay, you need to vent. Go ahead, Elijah. Now, I'm going to suggest to you that venting is okay. And from time to time, i got to tell you that I've sat alone with just me and the Lord and said, Lord, I ain't getting things right now. Lord, this ain't working out the way I thought. Lord, I'm not sure what you're doing. I've been, and you know, and I've kind of had my pity parties with the Lord. Look at all I've done for you, and you're not holding up your end of the bargain. Now, let me just say one thing to you. Whenever you do that, make sure you do it with an element of respect and reverence for who God is, just like Elijah did. But it is part of the healing process. Sometimes we just need to get our feelings out and say, God, here's where I'm at. But then there's the fourth thing that God tells Elijah. And that is this. After you talk, you need to learn to listen. Specifically, you need to learn to listen to the voice of God because He wants to answer our questions, at least to some degree. He wants to encourage us and inspire us. But so often, after we talk, we just walk away. We don't listen. Or we turn on the TV or the radio or the Internet, and we're off to something else. And we miss His voice because we're listening to the wrong voices. Notice what it says in verse 11. Then He, God, said, this is what God said, Go out, stand on the mountain before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountain and broke the rock into pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire a still small voice, literally a whispering voice. Today, the wind and the earthquake and the fire are screaming at us. They scream from our radios, they scream from our TVs, from our internet connections, from our social media. And yes, unfortunately, they're screaming at us from our friends and sometimes our family. It seems like the whole world is screaming right now. But God whispers. The world screams while God whispers. Who are you listening to? You know, I'm amazed today. It seems like everybody wants to be heard. You know, that's why we have our social media, because we want to put it out there so that our voice can be heard. What we think is so important. You know, I wonder among all of the screaming, do you really think anybody's listening? Is anybody listening to each other? It's noisy out there. It's hard to hear yourself think, much less to hear the whispering voice of God. And yet He speaks. He speaks words of encouragement. He speaks words of instruction and comfort. Words of assurance. And even sometimes words of correction. But all of His words are there to bring peace to our weary hearts and minds. The question again is, are we listening? So you want perfect peace today? Three things. Stop looking for a way out. God will supply His peace right where you are. Number two, keep your mind in the right place. Begin today renewing your mind. Capture those old destructive thoughts and begin to replace them with godly thoughts. And then third, tune out 
the screaming of the world and tune in to the whispering voice of God and of the Holy Spirit. But number three is going to take some conscious work on your part, I promise you, because the world is not going to stop screaming at you. It's going to be up to you to find a quiet place, to, to discipline yourself in what you do and what you listen to. Allow me the freedom to personalize verse 3, if you will. God will keep you in perfect peace when your mind is stayed on Him because you trust in Him. God will keep you in perfect peace when your mind is stayed on Him because you trust in Him. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor James Chapman. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor James' teaching ministry by visiting calvarycsm.org.